Wow, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> it's kind of creepy music. It's like, woo, First Peter, very mystic, but not really mystic. Hey, we are in week two of a series. We started last week on the book of First Peter. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn there. Turn to First Peter. Now, if you're without your Bible, that's okay. If you brought one of these this morning, a phone or a tablet, uh, download the Oakwood app. And in there is sermon notes, and you can get all the scriptures and all the notes. There's even a way for you to take notes yourself in there and save them, and you can refer to them later. But we are uh, going through this book and, and, and really just want to engage First Peter, allow the Lord to speak to us, to change us, uh, to make us into the people he wants us to be. And last week, our focus was that Jesus Christ is our living hope. And today... The next section of scripture that we're looking at is our response to that truth. Now, something happened last week that happens every once in a while, and I thought it was kind of funny, but I wanted to begin here by sharing it with you this morning. So I was out in the lobby between services, and somebody came up to me and said, oh, you know, pastor, I need my steel-toed boots here. You're stepping on my toes. And, you know, and as a pastor, we kind of like that kind of stuff every once in a while, you know. Um, glad, you know, you felt you know, convicted by the word of God and, you know, some, some good feedback like that. But, but I, I, I want to kind of make a serious point out of that this morning and begin by saying this. God's word will change your life. That's where I started last week. It's like the word of God will change your life. And that's why we have to be a people of the word, engaged in the word, understanding the word, studying the word, memorizing the word, taking it to heart. But we don't just want this mental knowledge, right? We want to apply it to our lives because the Bible changes everything. And that's why we engage the scripture. Now, sometimes we get convicted when we read God's word. There, there might be something from last week. It might be something from today or maybe from next week, maybe five weeks from now. But you'll hear something. And, and even if you were reading the Bible on your own, you, you might read something. You're like, wow, man, that really convicts me. But here's where the rubber meets the road for Christians, okay? For those that, are, that say, hey, I'm a Christian. I, I follow Christ. Is when you hear the word and you don't do anything, you don't put it into action. Some people feel convicted in the moment like, wow, man, that is so me. I've got to. I've got to get this right. I've got to bring this under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, and we go out and we don't, nothing changes. Like nothing changes. It's like you read it and you felt it in the moment, but you didn't take any action on it to help it mold and change your life. Then, then there's sometimes where we get this little point of conviction. We're like, wow. And we actually take some action steps. Hey, I, you know, because of that, I'm going to talk to my brother over here, and I'm going to have him hold me accountable in this, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to bring this under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to make sure that that I am I'm serving God with a, with my whole heart, and with with a pure heart, and with pure motives, and yeah. And so, so if you feel convicted, I just want to encourage you: take an action step on it. Okay, and understand, God still moves today. God still works today. This word is awesome. That's why we read it. That's why we study it up in God's church, right? Amen? Oh, good. Three people are awake with me this morning, so we'll work on that. Hey, 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're at. And just uh, where we're going to begin this morning is just a reminder from last week, why did 1 Peter write this? He actually tells us that in chapter 5. That's where I want to begin. In chapter 5, it says this, 1 Peter 5, 12. The second part says, I have written to you briefly, because it's a short book, it's only five chapters, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. In other words, Christians, it's a call to endurance. It's a call to perseverance. It's a call to dedication to live the life that God has called you to live through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, 
We get to today's passage. We're going to begin 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Let's read the first word. The first word is, therefore. Anytime, you know, I've said this before, anytime you read that in Scripture, you read therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Usually it references what came before it. You know, you make this statement, and then you're like, because I made this statement, therefore, do this. So I want to go back to last week. I'm just do a quick summary of what we read and what Peter was telling us in verses 1 through 12. Real quick. He says, you have a new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that has been brought to you and brought you into an inheritance. He reminded us that we are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation. And in all of this, he said to greatly rejoice, though for a little while you will face all kinds of trials. Those seasons of testing we talked about last week. These trials have come so that it will prove the genuineness of your faith. And when you prove the genuineness of your faith, it will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to God Almighty. And then he goes on, he says, it's an inexpressible and a glorious joy we have being in Christ Jesus. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's just a brief synopsis from last week. Now to verse 13. Follow along with me. Therefore, because of the living hope, because God is our shield, because we greatly rejoice, because we know we're going to face times of trials, but God is with us, and it's going to prove the genuineness of our faith. It's going to result in praise and glory to God. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, and we'll talk about that in a minute, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Notice there, it says to set your hope. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Again, it's one of those weird references that we're foreigners in this world. But we are because we are kingdom citizens and our kingdom is in heaven. Verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, just like it is in the winter right now, right? The, grass, the, fla- the, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So allow the word of the Lord in First Peter speak to your hearts this morning. Really, if you look in the subheadings, 
in your Bible. I don't know what your Bible says. My Bible, uh, above verse 3 in this chapter, says, Praise to God for our living hope. And when we get to verse 13, mine just says, Be holy. I think those sub, subheadings are actually really good for understanding what we're reading here. We're, we're understanding that praise be to God for our living hope and the salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And the call and our response to that is to be holy. So really, as I draw out of the scripture this morning, what should be the Christian's response to their salvation through Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to be answering this morning, is because of our living hope, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, what should be a Christian's response to their salvation through Jesus Christ? How should Christians respond to the fact that they're saved by Jesus? The first thing is this. Christians respond by being a people of hope. Christians respond by being a people of hope. That sounds really simple and really basic, but yet it is so profound. It's so profound that he speaks to it first in verse 13, and he also says there that this is something that happens in our mind. I think so many times people think, oh, this Christianity thing, it's a feeling, right? If we feel God, right? If we feel Jesus, it's about feelings. When you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus because of your feelings where we have, we have, no, this is something in your mind. We are intelligent people. We've been given a mind by Christ, and we are to fix our mind on the things of Christ. We see this all throughout Scripture. And so Christians respond by being a people of hope, not by some fleeting thing that happens, but by a choice we make in our mind of what we put our hope in. Look what it says in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are what? Alert and fully sober. What, what, what does that mean exactly? What is he saying? A mind that is alert there gives us this idea that it is an activated and an engaged mind. That this mind is a thinking mind. It's an intelligent mind. And it is engaged. It says with minds that are engaged and fully sober. When we hear that word sober, we think of what? Not under the influence, right? If you're sober, we usually think of alcohol and think of it in the context of alcohol. When you get, if you, if you were pulled over and you get a, what's called a DUI, it's because you are driving under the influence of what? Alcohol. And so you're called to be a people that are sober. And when he talks about your mind here being sober, he's not necessarily talking about alcohol. He's saying that it wouldn't be under the influence of anything except Christ Jesus himself. A mind that is sober here means that it is calm, it is steady, it is steadfast, and it is self-controlled. It is a focused Mind, not under the influences of the world. And he says, with minds that are alert, engaged, and fully sober, set your hope. It's not an accidental thing. Oh, the hope just comes. It's a feeling and it just comes. No. He said, no, no. You're going to put your hope in something. Everybody has their hope in something. Some people it's a bank account. Some people it's a relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend. Some people it's a marriage. And, you know, we put our hope in all these things and the world offers us. But here it's saying... Though we set our hope on the grace that's going to be brought to us through Jesus Christ. And then it's talking about his, his return to this world. We're supposed to put our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. And this isn't something that's fleeting. It's not something that's, that's, that, that just happens. It's not a feeling. It's more than that. It's actually an intelligent thing that we are actually going to set our minds to as Christians. Number two, what should Christians' response be to their salvation in Christ Jesus. Number two, Christians respond by living holy lives. Christians respond by living holy lives. 
We are called to be holy. We are called as Christians to be holy. And my concern is that in this day and age, in this time, where the culture is completely anti-God, anti-Jesus, it seems like Christians get sucked into a lot of times not being holy or different than the world. In fact, sometimes it's like we look just like the world. In fact, sometimes I think Christians, we, we live our lives this way. As long as I'm just a little bit better, not, not holy and set apart and different, but if I'm just a little bit better than the non-Christian pagan types, then I feel good about being that. So, you know, I'm not as bad as he is because, you know, he'll actually use these words. I just use, you know, I, I can use cuss words. I don't use the words, the Lord's name in vain. He uses the Lord's name in vain. So I'm actually, I feel good about my sins because I'm above and that's not what he's calling us to here when he says that we are to live holy lives. Look what it says in verses 14 through 16. Peter says this, as obedient children, you're children of God. When you accept Christ, you become his child, you're adopted into his family. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. I love that verse because of the word ignorance. I don't know what it is about that word. You just don't use it very often, right? Because it's kind of condescending, right? It's like, man, he's ignorant. I mean, if you say someone's ignorant, it's like, whoa. You know, you, you just back up, Jack, right? I mean, it's kind of like serious here. You'll be going around calling people ignorant. So Peter, what does he say here about that specifically? Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. That's before you knew Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Before you knew the gospel truth about Jesus. You lived as a person who was ignorant. You were ignorant. What does that mean? When we think of that word, we think, well, it's someone who's kind of dumb, right? It actually means lack of knowledge. But in the context here, it means more than that. It's a lack of knowledge. It's moral blindness. Or, maybe better said this way, a lack of known morality. A lack of known morality. Does that sound like our world today? Anybody? Anybody seeing a lack of known morality? Anybody seeing a lack of known morality to the extent and to the point that it feels like it's ignorant? Like, like, like if you think of some things, you know, you like certain things that pop in that culture is like trying to celebrate, oh, celebrate this sin and, you know, we'll make it look good and, you know, and you would be like, what? You're so ignorant. I mean, that's, that's like what it feels like. But they're not born again. And he's saying this is your former life before Christ. You were, in fact, ignorant. People that haven't made that decision for Christ, they have this moral blindness to them. And he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you did before because you were ignorant. In other words, what is he saying? Don't be ignorant again, okay? All right, enough of that word. Verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. In all that you do? Can I have like a little non-holy thing over here on the side? No. He says, be holy in all that you do, for it is written, in verse 16, 
Be holy because I am holy. Where do you get that from? It's in quotes. Where did Peter get this idea? Leviticus. That's right. That's the first book you were thinking of, right? It was like, yes, I know that's from Leviticus. It's Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, chapter 19, verse 2, and chapter 20, verse 7. In those three places in Leviticus, God specifically says to to the Israelites, to his chosen people, he says to be holy as I am holy. In other words, you are to be like me if you are my children. This makes sense in the family, right? If you're going to be my child, I'm going to train you in the ways of kellerdom, and you're going to be my children, and you're going to operate in these ways, and you're going to be like me. And in God's kingdom, and in God's family, he says to be holy as I am holy. What, is, what does that really mean, holy? So, much, so many people think holy means pious. Be pious as God's pious. No, that word simply means to be different and set apart from the world. Okay, the best way to illustrate is if, you, if you're going one way and the world says, hey, it's this way, it's that God is this way. We are different. If the world says, hey, this is okay, and God says, no, it's not okay, then we are different. We are set apart. We are different than the world. And so, because of that, it feels different to us. That's why he calls us foreigners in just, in just a verse later. He says, we're foreigners in this world. It's supposed to be different. We do not conform to the evil desires. Look what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it begins with therefore again. It says, therefore, because of all that Paul had been talking about in Romans, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, his salvation on us, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Set apart, different. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then in verse 2, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, we're not going to be like the world. We're going to be different. We're going to be holy, set apart, different. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Again, it's our intelligence. It's not a feeling. It's our brain setting our mind on things above and not on things of the earth. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind because then, he goes on, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. You can actually know God's will for your life. If you'll set your mind on things above and you'll be transformed by mind renewal. And trust me, I mean, let's be honest this morning, church. Our minds need renewed. I mean, they're so full of junk, bombarded by the things of this world. Careful with those cell phones. Careful with your media consumption. Careful on social media. Careful on unsocial media. That's what I call it now. It's like it's just all of these things. Be careful because we're called to be different, to be holy, to be set apart from evil. Saved people are changed people. We are different from the world. And because in verse 17 there, it identifies us as foreigners, we're, we're to feel odd. I mean, that's what the word different means. It's right. It means to be like odd, okay? Some of us feel weird, right? Some of you may have been called weird. I mean, that's how the world views us sometimes is as weirdos. We are Christian weirdos. Bunch of Christian weirdos. I mean, th- okay, let's, let's, let's look at us through the world's eyes. Who gets up early on Sunday morning to go sin to sanctuary? Weirdos. Christian weirdos. Like, what are they doing? And what's up with the donuts and coffee thing? I mean, if they're hungry, I mean, they don't eat breakfast and they go to this church and they get, that's weird. They give their money 
10% of their income they give to the Lord as holy. Weird. Weird. Holy. Different. Yes. Christian, but Christian weirdos. They don't, they don't have sex outside of marriage. Weird. Everybody's having sex. Everybody's doing it right. You know, they're different. They're set apart. They're holy. They're not characterized as ones that, that'll, that'll party and, and, and get drunk and high. These people forgive their enemies. Bunch of, bunch of weird. That's so odd. Christians are so weird. They actually think of others before themselves. Huh, weird. They actually might actually pray and think before they rant with a post online. Well, some of them. Sad, really, but true. Weird. They have a personal relationship with someone you can't even see. Hmm. That's different. But if you think of this conversely, it's the same way. Have you ever thought of this? How many of you feel less at home in this world than you did 20 years ago? Anyone? 40 years ago, some of you older ones, 40, 50 years ago, you feel less at home in this world. You feel like this world is not, this is not my United States of America. Anyone? Anyone, this is not my North America, this is not my continent, this is not my, this is not my place, this isn't my city, I mean, I, I feel like an alien. I feel like an alien in this world, like a foreigner, yes. Because conversely, it can feel the same way, that we are different, odd, weird. Things are weird in our world, weirder than they used to be when I was a kid. Living in the world as a Christian is different. Paying for health insurance that covers murdering babies but not my vitamins. I think that's weird. Paying taxes that sometimes go to public schools that will teach our kids and, and they won't instill our values. We pay them to instill values that we don't have. Seems a little weird. I thank God often that we live in Enid, Oklahoma. We have good Christian teachers. We have a bunch of good Christian teachers in our public schools here, praise the Lord. And I'm not advocating, hey, all, all the Christians and Christian teachers walk out of the public schools because then what's going to happen, right? I mean, the indoctrination is already there. You go to another part of the country or to a big city, they're indoctrinating our kids and we pay for it. Uh, that, does that weird to you? Does that just seem like off, weird? Like this is not, this is not my life, this is not my world. Paying taxes sometimes, and, and these politicians, they get salaries and they're paid to erode your freedom to live out your faith. Seems odd. A little, little, bit, little bit different. Seeing the rainbow, God's promise to Noah and to mankind that he would never destroy the earth by flood again. On people in, you know, parades and the word pride comes out, which is why Satan got thrust from heaven and why he was tempting Adam and Eve in the garden in the first place. And if you really think about the first temptation, it was really about pride. Oh, you can be like God. And taking God's, I mean, that's, is that not weird to some of you? It's like that, that, that rainbow is like God's promise about his. And, and you could just go on and on into morality and into the things of this world and go, this world is not my home. This world feels weird. It feels different. And if you are different in Christ Jesus, if you are holy as he is calling us to be here, then these things will feel different to you because you're supposed to stick out. You're supposed to stick out. Matthew 5, 
Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, Jesus says this to his disciples and to his followers that are listening to him teach. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Okay, what's the point of putting salt on your fries if it doesn't taste salty? There's no point except high blood pressure, right? Like you just remove the taste, right? It's like salt that's not salty is to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Why? Because it's useless. And Jesus says, you are to be salty. People should taste Jesus when they encounter you. Salty, different, holy people. Look at the next part. You are the light of the world. It's interesting that Jesus says this because Jesus was the light of the world. But then he's passing the torch while he's on earth to his disciples and to his followers saying, hey, I'm leaving someday here. You are going to be my light to the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. If a town's up on a hill and it's got, you know, the light poles, you come up to it at night and you what? You see it because the light is there, right? The light shines in the darkness. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Okay, it'd be weird for us to light this room and then cover the fixtures, you know? It's like, we're just going to cover them. No, the, there's, the light has a purpose, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't put out light in our home to cover the light bulbs. It's, that's weird. It says, neither do people light a lamp and put it in a bowl. Instead, they do what? They put it on a stand where everybody can see it. And it gives light to everyone in the house. And then Jesus says, in that same way, let your light... Shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise and glorify your Father in heaven. Because why? Because we are different, holy, light, and salt set apart. You see, true Christians, true Christians will look different than the world and different than their former selves. I have a friend who before Christ uh, did a lot of bad things. He was a partier. He was a womanizer. Um, he was an alcoholic um, in the truest sense of the word. Uh, he did drugs. And the weird thing, like it's just so weird, um, is he was a male stripper for a time. He made a living being a male stripper. It's just, it's just yeah. When he came to Christ Jesus and he had, had some events come and God definitely you know, called him, he had some, some things, some trouble catch up with him and some things, and and he left that life. He, he quit strip. I mean, you know, when you're working in a stripping hours, you know, it's a different time slot. You know, he, he goes to work for a business and starts working an eight to five job. And people know his reputation. They know he's like party animal, womanizer, male stripper guy, you know, weird. But, you know, he's, he's like a sinner all the way, you know, not walking with Jesus. He goes into this eight to five job. Everybody knows his reputation. And he finds Jesus, and he immediately makes the change in his life, and he starts living to be holy, different. Different than the world and different than he was before. And people noticed right away. He was the guy at work with foul language, and he quit talking that way. In fact, he didn't even like to be around it anymore. He was the guy telling the really lewd, gross jokes. And not only did he not lead those anymore, but he never Wanted to be around people sharing those kind of things. It was so there. People would walk into his office like, dude, what happened to you? You're acting what? What are they going to say? Weird. You're acting weird. Come on. You want to go party this weekend? Let's, let's go drink and see what happens. You know, it's like, 
you're acting weird. He's weird because he's a Christian now. And he actually gave his life to Jesus Christ. And under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he says, you know what? I'm called to be holy. I'm called to be different from the world. This is how it should be. And this is why he's saying our response to our salvation, to the living hope we have, is to be different than the world. To walk and to be like God. To be holy as he is holy. To be different than the world. So many of us make that decision to follow Christ Jesus. We were, in our former way of life, on a team, right? We're, we're on this team, and we wear this jersey as part of the world. This is, this is who we are. This is what I'm about. This is what I stand for. These are my standards. And then one day, we make a decision. We meet this guy named Jesus, and he takes away all of our sins. He redeems us. And we're like, yes, I am on Team Jesus. And when you do that, you, you put, it's like, it's like this. These, these are called reversible jerseys. And you've reversed it. That, that's what we talked about last week when we talked about repentance. Repentance is that time where you reverse and, and you repent of your sins. And it's like, okay, now I'm on Team Jesus. And because I'm on Team Jesus, I look different. I'm now wearing the white jersey, not the dark jersey anymore. But sometimes, it seems like, some people are like, I, I'm with Jesus, I'm on to, I am a Christian. I am a Christian all the way, but I talk and I live my life like that. Now, I know you see this, and this is, I'm still a Christian. Blood covers this and makes it, you know, I'm, I'm still, I, I, now I know, I know I've been, yeah, I've been doing that again, and I, I know I've fallen back into this pattern and, but I'm still a Christian. I know. It looks like I'm not. It looks like I went back to the old team, right? But I'm on Team Jesus still. And Jesus says, hey, I deliver you not only for heaven and offer you salvation. I save you from your sins. And this, this is your team. And there's no going back. Well, everyone should go back to the old ways of life. Now, I'm not here to tell you some more like you're perfect, right? Oh, you are Jesus yourself because you're perfect. You never, ever sin. We have times where we sin. But as soon as you sin, you should pop back up and say, no more. I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to get caught in this habitual pattern of repetitive sin that goes on and on for years. Because if you do that, you begin to look like this. And you look like this for a very, very long time, and you begin to wear this jersey, and guess what? Everyone out there thinks you're on this team. Why? Because you haven't been walking in the light, and you haven't been living a holy life. In fact, you look just like the world. And if the world's team is this jersey, then you are wearing it, because you look just like the world. And God says, no, be set apart. Be holy as I am holy. And I know some of you are like, man, I don't have the power to overcome this demon in this darkness in my life. Yes, you do. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Resurrection power is the same power to resurrect our hearts and our lives. That's the beautiful symbolism of baptism as you're buried under the water, right? You're buried in your sin, and you're raised to walk, walk out of there in newness of life. It washes away your sins. And then you walk out, and you say, you know what? I can do this. There are going to be times where I'm going to get a little smudge on my jersey, and I'm, oh, man, but I'm going to call my brother, and I'm going to have him hold me accountable. And he's going to say, hey, that's not who you are. Well, sometimes I think that's it as Christians. We need to be reminded who we are and who we serve. You are called to be holy. Christians respond by living holy lives. 
Number three, Christians respond by honoring and revering God. They respond to their salvation by honoring and revering the Lord. What does that mean exactly? It means that you acknowledge, you respect, and you revere the Lord. The best illustration I could think of this was like one that, uh, like how you respond to your dad when you were a kid, right? There was just a reverence there sometimes with dad. Mom, okay, yeah, sometimes there was a reverence for mom too, and some of you guys may have had that mom, right? But there was just something about dad. When dad came in to do the discipline, when dad came in and became a part of the process, when dad got home from work, right, you know what I'm talking about, that you just kind of had, you loved your dad, and he would, you know, hold you on his lap and read you a book, and he was a great dad, taught you all these things. But part of his job as head of the household was that he was in charge of your spiritual development, your maturity. He was a part of, of making sure you, he had you lined out and disciplined so you could be a functional citizen in the world, right? To make sure that none of these things happened and, and, and to keep you on the straight and narrow. And so, he had, and so because of that, when he would discipline you and he would make commands of you and say, hey, I need you to do this. You're, you're my kid. You wear my name. Okay, we, because of that, you need to be like me in this way and, and, and in that way. And because of that, we kind of had this reverence for our dad. It's kind of like, this is this healthy fear. It wouldn't fear like, oh, but it was like, ooh, when dad means business, he means business, right? See, I feel like we've lost that for God today. And I'm not talking to fear like God could strike you down, even though he could. I mean, God sent a lightning bolt right now into this room and just strike somebody dead. God, God can do that. He has the absolute power to do that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just this respect that we have for who God is and a love of respect for him for what he's done in that he offered his son as a sacrifice for us. Christians respond to their salvation by honoring and revering the Lord. Fourth thing, Christians respond by loving each other as God loved us. We respond in loving each other as God loved us. Look at verse 22 in our passage. It says, now that you have purified yourselves, did you catch that? You're pure. And it's an action step that you have taken. Now that you have purified yourselves, by doing what? By obeying the truth of this word. You're actually obeying and doing what the Bible says. So that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. It's interesting. Because in that first part where it says, so that you have sincere love. That word love there in the Greek, in the original language the Bible is written in, is Philadelphia. What is Philadelphia? If I say Philadelphia, what do you think? Pennsylvania, right? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What is Philadelphia known as? The city of brotherly love, right? That's actually what that word means. Okay, so so listen to this. So he's saying here, so that you have sincere brotherly love for each other. And then he says, love one another deeply. That love word is different. That love word there is agape. So he says this, so that you have sincere Philadelphia for each other, agape one another deeply. In English, we get love and love, but it's completely different. Because the first love is a brotherly affection, like, yo, bro, what's up? You know, fist bump, yeah, man, man, I love hanging out with you, I love you, bro. Okay, brotherly love, brotherly affection. Agape is sacrificial love. You know, even though you don't always please me, you don't always do it right, I'm making a choice to love you, a choice to love you, and even sacrifice because Christians put others needs above their own and a sacrifice that remembers that Christ the son of God died for you how about that sacrifice that kind of love then he says that kind of love sacrificial love 
one another deeply. From the heart. It comes from deep within. It's, this is of your own will that you would love one another in this way. As a response to our salvation and to our living hope, Christians respond by loving each other as God loves us with a sacrificial love. And God's church is beautiful when the relationships in the body of Christ are characterized by agape love. It's attractional. That's what got the church going in the book of Acts. How those people, how those Christians loved one another. They loved each other deeply. Fifth thing, last thing this morning. Christians respond by growing in their knowledge of the word of God. They grow in their knowledge of the word of God. Look at verse 23 of our passage. It says this. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of what? Imperishable through the what? Through the living and enduring word of God. Faith by, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Verse 24, for all people are like grass and all their glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is how you got your salvation was you heard the gospel message, the truth from the word of God. Of God, And so Christians, as a response to their salvation, they respond by growing, constantly growing in their knowledge of the word of God. That's why we say, hey, get in a Bible study, get with a group of friends, read this thing. I love what I'm doing right now in the Bible app. I've got 85 of us reading the whole Bible this year. And I love it because at the end of the day, there's this place for comments. And we put comments on there. God's speaking this and God's doing that. And man, it's awesome. What a great way to grow together. And I have a feeling that like us 85 in there, we kind of love each other agape kind of style because we're doing this together. We're in this together. We need to understand that some of you that long to know the deep things of God, I want to know God deeper. Yes, that longing in you is fulfilled in the word of God, the deep things of God. Some of you are always questioning God's will for your life. What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to be? Who does he want me to marry? What profession am I supposed to have? Where am I supposed to live? Am I supposed to move or not move? Everybody wants to know, what does God want? Because I know that would be the best. God's will is discerned through the word of God. God's word prepares you for kingdom work and kingdom usefulness. Your kingdom purpose is found right here in the word of God. As I close this morning, we, because of the living hope we have in Jesus Christ, are called to be holy as he is holy. We are called to be different, different from the world. And I know what happens sometimes is I even get frustrated sometimes. I'm like, man, I'm frustrated with myself. I feel like I'm acting and talking just like the world acts and talks. In fact, if you knew me and you walked around me, you followed me around for 168 hours in a week, you might not even be able to tell I'm a Christian. Because I look just like the world. I dress just like the world. I talk just like the world. I watch what the world watches on media. But I want to encourage you this morning and say this. Jesus died. And through his power, through the washing away of your sins, you can walk out newness of life in Christ Jesus. You can live holy lives. Was Peter perfect? Peter denied Jesus three times in the courtyard. 
And if you read it closely, it says one of the times he took up oaths. That's like cussing. He denied Jesus with cussing. That guy wrote what we're reading and studying right now. And I'm thinking if there's hope for him, maybe there's hope for me. And maybe there's hope for you. Church, we can do it. We can live like real Christians and be different than the world. But we've got to remember the high price of our salvation and let that sacrifice be our motivation. I know I say I have a lot of favorite scriptures in the Bible. This is one of my top 100. It's found in John's, John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 24. In John 5, 24, it says this, Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes he who sent me has eternal life. And he will not be judged, but he has crossed over from death to life.